If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me once again to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. As we're continuing to look at this great epistle of the Apostle Paul, the last time we were uh, looked at Galatians, and in, in fact, um, last week I was in James 2, and that's going to um, play right in. You'll see a lot of the same things this week that we talked about uh, last week. We've been looking at Paul's fiery defense of his apostleship. He wrote this letter to the Galatian church because they were being attacked by Judaizers. Paul had been there the year before, planted the church, grounded the church in the truths of the faith, in the truths of the gospel. He leaves, and, when, and as I've said before, when God blesses, the devil messes. Paul leaves and he leaves men in charge that, that, that he's trained to pastor the church, lead the church. But as soon as Paul leaves, the devil sends messengers in. He sends in these Judaizers to infiltrate and to sow lies and to sow discord and to pervert the gospel, the true gospel of God. And Paul has gone into this fiery defense and through much of chapter 2 and telling the, telling the people there at Galatia, don't pay any attention to the Judaizers. Listen to me. Go back to what I taught you when I was there. For my message is God's message. I was called by God. I was discipled by God. I was equipped by God. I was empowered by God. And those Judaizers were not. And he tells them over and over and over, my message is God's message. Ultimately, Paul was defending the true gospel of Jesus Christ saves by faith and faith alone. And last time we looked at Galatians 2, we saw the resolve of Paul, the backbone of Paul, how Paul would not bend. There are some things in this world that there are hills in which to die on, and the gospel is one of them. And we also saw the impartiality of Paul. We saw the impartiality of Paul even in the face of direct opposition through the Judaizers or even if the other apostles did not embrace Paul. Paul says, I don't care. I've been with God. I've been in the presence of God. I know what God has given to me. And therefore, I hope that they, I, I get the recognition of the other apostles. But if it don't, it doesn't matter to me. God is not a respecter of persons and neither am I. God shows no partiality and neither did Paul and neither should we. God is not a respecter of persons. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The ground is level at the foot of His cross and God hates a false balance. He hates for someone to take advantage of another, to show partiality to one while shunning somebody else. God hates injustice. God is not a respecter of persons. God shows no partiality. But what we're going to read this morning, we're going to read about some partiality that was shown. As we look at verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2, we're going to see partiality be shown. We're going to see respect shown to one group of people and then at the same time disrespect shown to another group of people. But the detail that is going to stand out to this to us the most is the one who was doing this 
was the Apostle Peter. And so I want to read to your hearing verses 11 through 14 of Galatians chapter 2. And I want to think with you on this subject. Confronting hypocrisy. Confronting hypocrisy. Galatians 2 beginning in verse 11. These are the words of God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before everyone, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? And thus far the reading of God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious holy word. God, we pray that you would pour out your blessings upon it, upon its reading, its hearing, And upon its proclamation, God, we pray that you would open our eyes to the truths that are contained in this passage. We pray that you would open our eyes to things in our life that we need to make right with you. God, we pray that you would fashion us, mold us, and uh, forge us to become better servants of the Most High God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and wills to obey what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. What is behind this confrontation? What's the reason for it? In actuality, what's behind the confrontation is the reason that's behind the whole book. What is behind the book of Galatians is Paul's desire to defend and declare the true gospel in the face of certain men who have come into the churches of Galatia and promoted, taught, a false gospel. This is a book in defense. This is a, it's, it's a fight. It is a defense of the true gospel against those who were promoters of the false gospel. And as we look at this passage, I want to draw out three things for you. In verses 11 and 12, we're going to see the issue. In verse 13, we're going to see the influence. And then finally, in verse 11 and 14, we're going to see the interrogation. But think with me on this about the, about the issue, verses 11 and 12. Look again at what it says. But when Cephas, Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Because he was in the wrong. Why was Paul, I mean, why was Paul saying that Peter was in the wrong? Why? We're told in verse 12, For prior to the coming of certain men from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, the men from James, when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of circumcision. Peter had come to Antioch. He had come to Antioch of Syria where the first church was. And Paul, and and the first um, majority Gentile church, that is, Paul and Barnabas were pastors Uh, along with a group of other men that you can read about in the 12th chapter of Acts. Peter had come there. Peter had stayed there a pretty good while. And obviously Peter had been the center of attention. Because you've got to think about this. In that time, those people didn't have this. 
They didn't have the Bible yet. They, 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 they didn't have the New Testament that you and I have that we can look back to, that we can go to and read from. But they had front and center people that lived with and ministered with the Son of God. So Peter had to have been well sought after, had to have been the center of attention. Can you imagine these people just, just engulfing Peter at every hour of every day? Oh, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. What was it like to walk with Jesus, to live with Jesus? Hey, Peter, what was it like to walk on the water with Him? Tell us all the things that we have never heard, that we haven't heard yet. And so, so he's there. He's witnessing to them about Christ. There's this eyewitness there at Antioch with all of these uh, Gentile believers. It's a church that's flourishing uh, with the proclamation of the gospel. So Peter, to those people, must have been some kind of an icon. He would have been a sort of a, a hero. And he ate with them. He worshipped with them. And he was there, and he was there with them in the presence of the, of the Gentiles as one church. But then what happens? Certain men from James, Jewish Christians, show up, and Peter changes. Peter begins to act differently toward the Gentile Christians. Peter begins to, to separate himself from the Gentiles and show partiality to the Jews. So there's two things that we want to see under the issue. There are two main issues. One is that partiality. One is that partiality that, that Peter shows. He, he, he stops fellowshipping and dining, eating with the Gentiles. He shuns them and gives preference gives partiality to the Jewish Christians. So there's the partiality, and then there's the title of the message, hypocrisy. We see Peter's partiality, and we also see his hypocrisy. And both were damaging to the gospel. But let's think about the partiality that Peter was showing. Everything was fine in Jerusalem. Everything was fine in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council. Everybody was on the same page. Then they come to Antioch. They come to see what Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the uh, uh, church uh, uh, leadership was doing there. And then it changes. The, the, the Antioch, you recall, was the first place that the gospel was preached to a majority Gentile audience. And it was the first place where believers were called what? Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. At the Jerusalem Council, the big question was, must Gentile Christians become Jewish proselytes in order to become Christians? The question at Antioch was, must Gentiles conform to Jewish social institutions? Must they, must they get under and keep the ceremonial portions of the law? And look what it says in verse 12. For prior to the coming of certain men from James... James was the head of the Jerusalem church, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He's, he's the kind of the leader there, and you see that in the 15th chapter of Acts. So here come some men from that church, from the Jerusalem church, and the Jerusalem church was kind of like the mother church for where that's where the, uh, the Lord Jesus was crucified, where He was buried, rose again from the dead, and then from out of that, Christianity came from that location. So the Jer Jerusalem church was kind of like the, the mother church. 
of uh, all, the, all the other churches at that time. And, and so some men come that are associated with that church, and, and, they, and prior to that arrival, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. And if, well, if you know your Old Testament, you know that was unheard of. That was absolutely unheard of. Jews did not break bread with non-Jews. Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. Forget Christianity, forget the gospel, forget the church. Jews didn't do that. A Gentile to the Jew was unclean. A Gentile home was unclean. Gentile utensils were unclean. Gentile food was unclean. They couldn't go near Gentiles. They couldn't eat off of a dish that Gentiles offer them. And these were rabbinic standards that were iron-fisted into law in that culture. And it was believed that all Gentile food was contaminated by being unclean according to the standards of Mosaic dietary laws. So what you had was Jews holding to their own dietary laws and kind of a de- and developing a kind of racism toward the Gentiles. We even see we saw racism even in the day of Jonah, right? Jonah didn't want the Gentiles to repent because Jews hated Gentiles, so they kept separate. Jews kept separate from the Gentiles. So prior to these men coming from James. Peter would freely dine with the Gentiles. They would worship together. He would teach them alongside Paul, alongside Barnabas and the other laborers. And then they would come together and they would eat. Eating a meal together in that culture was huge. It was almost considered a part of the worship that they would get together. And when you share a meal with one another, you're saying, we're on the same page. We're on the same page together. We're, We're family in a sense. And Peter was was doing this freely, enjoying the Christian liberty, enjoying the Christian freedom. He ate freely and freely dined with them. And let me read your hearing, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse verse 9. This might have been something else, something else that that, that, uh, Peter was, was, was enjoying. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, says, And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city... Peter went up on the housetop about six hours to pray, but he became hungry and was desiring to eat. And while they were making set preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the sky. And a voice came to him, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything defiled and unclean. And a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleaned, no longer consider defiled. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into heaven. So Peter, sitting there, would eat with the Gentiles. Pretty sure he was eating with the food that the Gentiles had which means he was probably enjoying some pork chops. He was probably enjoying a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. He was probably doing so freely. They probably cooked him a pig in the ground. They were enjoying the liberty and the freedom in Jesus Christ. But then something happened. Then Peter begins to change when people from the mother church 
arrive. They show up and Peter's demeanor changes. He begins to act differently toward the Gentiles. And very quickly, very quickly, the place where the church would gather there in Antioch to eat became just like a high school cafeteria. Became just like a high school cafeteria. Have you ever heard, when I read this passage, when I read and study this, this passage of Galatians 2, there's a phrase that come to mind, comes to mind. Have you ever heard the phrase situational friends? You got friends, but you got certain friends that you'll do this with, certain friends that you'll hang out and do this with, but those friends don't ever intermingle, right? Right? And so Peter was not ashamed to hang out and eat with the Gentile Christians before the men from James got there. But as soon as they show up, man, he puts distance between him and the Gentiles. It's like, you know, it's like he was saying, I can be friends with you. I can hang out with you as long as such and such isn't here. But the minute they get here, I'm going to drop you like a bad habit and I won't hang out with you. I'm going to hang out with them and you can't hang out with us. It's childish. It's childish. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. It carries over into adult life. I've seen it happen to my children. They play with someone. They hang out with someone. They're, everything's fine until that one friend has a better, a friend that they like better shows up and then they completely ignore and ostracize this other, this, uh, the, the other person. And I remember, I'll put mom on the spot. Mama's even been through it before. I can remember her saying, you know, well, uh, I hear from this person, but when I stop hearing from them, I know it's because they're hanging around and running around with this other person. Because anytime this other person comes into the picture, I never hear from this person again. It, 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 people like that, you know, they, 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 you know, they will never have your back, right? They can hang out with you as long as it's convenient for them or if they're going to get something out of it. I don't think so. If people like it, they won't ever have your back, but they'll expect and demand for you to always be there for them. And if you're not, oh, they'll raise more cane than a donkey in a tin stall. And that's what Peter is showing that he's doing here. He's showing this partiality to the Gentile Christians. And can you imagine what they were thinking? Hey, this guy's been with Jesus. This guy hasn't just been with Jesus. He's one of those inner three of Peter, James, and John. Man, he was with Jesus in places and at times when the others weren't allowed to go. And now he's not paying us no mind. What's wrong with us? What's the matter with me? How come I'm not good enough for you to eat with now? So Peter shows this partiality. And then the second thing that we see under the issue, the second issue is that H word, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And I want to read to you a portion from Acts 15 from that Jerusalem council. From that Jerusalem council, Acts 15, beginning in verse 7. These are words of the Apostle Peter. It says, Acts 15, beginning in verse 7. 
And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them that the Holy Spirit, just as He did, just as He also did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them. You got you catch that? No distinction between us and them. In Christ, there is no more Jew and Gentile. There is only saved and lost. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either of your heavenly Father or you're of your Father the devil. And Peter says there was no distinction between us and them cleansing their hearts. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciple a yoke which neither our, father, our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they are also. So how can Peter say that? And Peter be in agreement with what Paul says there in the 28th chapter of Galatians 3, that there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. So how... How is it that he says that, he preaches that, he teaches that to them, but then acts in a completely different way? And we see that hypocrisy on, uh, 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 on display. Hypocrisy at its finest. And when you get down to brass tacks, hypocrisy deters people from Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy deters people from the Lord. Folks, we need to be people that let our yes mean yes and our no mean no. We need to be those people that Wes talked about during Sunday school that was mentioned in prayer. We need to live out the Christian faith in front of that lost and dying world and do it genuinely. Not just giving lip service. I quoted to you last week from the Lord Jesus. He said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. James, we read from him, it's like faith without works is dead. You can say you're a Christian all you want to, but if you do not have the life to back it up, you are not saved. And so Peter is displaying this hypocrisy. He knows the freedom that is in Christ. He knows what the Lord Jesus taught. He knows because he heard it personally. He was sitting there front row and center to hear the Sermon on the Mount. Peter knows the mercy that Jesus had at the, uh, on the woman at the well and knows the mercy that he had on the woman caught in adultery. He knows that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost and not just of the tribes of Abraham and Isaac and, and not just of the, the Jews, but a people of Every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, and of every nation. Peter knows that in Christ, all who come to faith and repentance in Jesus are grafted in to the promises of Abraham. Yet, this same Peter that spoke what I just read to you in Acts 15, verses 7 and 11, also acted hypocritically toward the Gentiles. So how do we reconcile the two? Here's the answer. 
as long as you live on this earth, no matter how long you walk with Christ, you can still be subject to getting the flesh. You can still be subject to get in the flesh. We can let situations, circumstances, and people take our eyes off Christ and stumble into sin. In that moment, in that moment when, when, when Peter was pressed, Peter was more worried about his reputation. Peter was more worried about what other people thought about him than he was concerned about glorifying God. He was pressed. He was hemmed in. And in the moment, he made a wrong decision. And what does that show us? If one of the inner circle of the Lord Jesus can stumble, how much more can we? It shows us that no matter how long we walk with the Lord, we need Him so much more on year 55 as the very second we were on our knees and cried out to Him to save our soul. Yes, we want to progress. We want to be a better Christian tomorrow than we were today. We want to be a better Christian in 2024 than we were in 2023. But we don't do it in and of ourselves. We don't pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps. We do it by staying plugged into His Word and yielding to the Spirit of God. Yielding to the Holy Spirit of God. To be in control of our emotions and not let our emotions control us. And that is very difficult to do. To have that in your mind is like, I'm going to just only be concerned about what God thinks. I'm not going to worry about my reputation in the eyes of other people. Whether I'm well liked or whether they despise me. As long as I'm doing what God commands, that's all that matters. Never, never should we let our fear of man surpass our fear of God. Peter's actions here are an illustration of how true sanctification works, right? It's not a straight line. It's not a straight line upward. It's take a few steps forward and then a few steps back. It's a few steps forward and then it's a few steps back. That's where we live. That's where we live. We seek with, we should seek with all of our earnest that the Lord help me. I don't want to disobey you today. I don't want to live in a way that's not pleasing and glorifying to you today. But we're going to fail. We won't always get it right. And so we take steps forward and we take steps back. But what do we want to do with the ones that we take back? We want to learn from them. We want to learn from them and not continually be backpedaling on the same steps backward, on the same mistake, on the same sins. We don't want to keep harboring the same things. Lord, Lord, help me learn from this. Help me get over it. Help me have victory over this thing so that I don't fail you in this regard anymore. That's true 
That's the true sanctification process. But you know what? Actions have consequences. Actions have consequences. So look at verse uh, 13. We see the influence. Look what it says. And the rest of the Jews joined him in, his, in, the, in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. The rest of the Jewish Christians were caught up in this, in this hypocrisy, in this shunning of the Gentiles, including old Barnabas. Just like falling dominoes, one after the other, Peter kind of shrinks back, and then the rest of them follow suit. And you think about that. I mean, I mean Barnabas, Barnabas came from Cyprus. He came from a, a very, a very, you know, Gentile saturated place. And he, he, his particular ministry was like Paul to the Gentiles. He was a missionary like Paul to the Gentiles to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. They were the main focus of him and Paul's ministry. Yet Barnabas follows the example of Peter's hypocrisy. Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, Barnabas follows the example of Peter's hypocrisy, and all of the rest of the Jewish Christians did as well, teaching that they and and um, showing that they were guilty of hypocrisy because while they were confessing and teaching that we're all one in Christ, they were denying it in how they were acting. They were denying it in their conduct. We need to be watchful for how we live. We need to be watchful for our action because our action can either provoke people to Christ or push people from Christ. Just imagine that even, even Barnabas is led astray. Barnabas, mature believer, Right, the one who who stood up for Paul when nobody else wanted to touch Paul, have anything to do with Paul when Paul was just uh, freshly saved. Barnabas uh, uh, stood up for Paul, and uh, Barnabas was also the one in Acts chapter thirteen, verse two, that Paul and Barnabas both were set apart for the work of uh, for the work of the Lord. If Barnabas was led astray because certain believers were acting hypocritically. How many more people were probably led astray? Now think about this. If we are living this way, if we are living saying that we're one way but acting a different, how many people could we be leading astray? Because every believer, every believer is a proclaimer of the gospel. You are to be a proclaimer of the gospel. You are the moment you identify as a Christian. You may not do so from a pulpit, but you proclaim it in your everyday life. You proclaim that you are a Christian and you're a proclaimer of the gospel. Not just in the words that you speak, but much more by how you live. Think back to what I said last week in James 2. You can say anything that you want. You can say that you're anything, you can say you're anything that you want to. But your true identity is revealed in how you act. Your true identity is revealed in how you act. May a soul never, ever be lost to hell because you and I were living as hypocrites. 
The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, I gave it to you last week and we'll give it to you again. Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And Barnabas teaches us that we need to be careful who we follow. We need to be careful who we follow. Even if the person is a man of God, we need to follow him as long as he's following Christ. Ultimately, you need to follow Jesus first and foremost. And then that way, if, if he's getting out of line, you do like Paul does. He's like, hey, time out. This ain't right. This ain't right. You don't just blindly, blindly follow people. We we're reading, we're studying the book of Proverbs on Wednesday night. And Proverbs chapter 1 talks about the dangers of just following people. Of just falling into, falling in with sinful people and the destruction that that can lead. Now, Peter was a, was a, a Christian who at the time made a bad decision, made a bad choice, and you could say in a sense, backslidden. So they didn't need to follow him in this regard. All of those people should have said, yeah, I, I, I get it. Peter's one of Jesus' inner circle, but he's not God. He's not God. Follow Christ and not man. So it, it, we're to follow Christ no matter what uh, a crowd may do. If a crowd is following Christ, that's great, but we're not following the crowd. We're following Christ. And if the crowd ceases to follow Christ and goes in a different direction, they need to go without us. Then they need to go without us. So we see the issue. We see the influence. Now let's... Look at the interrogation. Look at what Paul does. Paul sees this happen. He sees this going on. He sees this hypocrisy. He knows the, the brokenheartedness that those Gentile believers had to be feeling. And Paul knows he can't sit idly by and just watch it happen. So look what it says in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I went to him. I didn't talk about it behind his back. I addressed him about it because he was in the wrong. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, they were telling the, 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 the Gentile Christians, we're one. We're one in Christ. We've been all saved and washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. We're all saved by grace. We're one in Christ. But they weren't acting like it. We're going to eat over here away from y'all, right? Like, the, like, like this, 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 you know, big segregation. We've got the, 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 the clique of the uh, Jewish Christians over here, and you Gentiles have got to eat or relegated to eat over here as if they were better. And Paul calls them out on that. He says in verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of any, in front of everyone. Why everyone? Why not take uh, Peter aside? Because in this instance, he made the he 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 acted publicly. So for the sake of those baby Christians there in Antioch, Peter needed to be addressed publicly. Those people are brokenhearted and, and, and you know they, they, they're getting stirred up and they were in danger of being like in the parable of the sower. The seed that is cast by the, by the road. 
and the bird comes down and devours it. Peter was in danger of being a, a, an agent of the devil and being that bird that's going to come in and just gobble up that seed. So Paul knows I've got to intervene and I've got to tell him in front of the rest of the church, this ain't right. Brother, this isn't right. You shouldn't do this. This is wrong. There are brothers and sisters too. Don't ostracize them and make them feel like they're a second or third rate uh, Christian. We are all one. And he confronts them. Paul gets in his grill. It's like, man, don't you know what you're doing? Don't you realize the damage that you could be causing by acting this way? And so he confronts him in public. Our Lord despises hypocrisy. Think about all the times that he raped the Pharisees over the coals. Matthew 23, verse 27. What did he tell them? He didn't say blessings and joy and comfort and peace to the scribes and the Pharisees, did he? No, he said, woe. He said, woe. Woe to you. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are outwardly like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside full of dead men's bones, full of hypocrisy. And it wasn't just to the to the to the to the leadership that he told us. Oh no, he tells the Lord tells the the, the general layman, the, the the everyday man, Matthew chapter seven. He says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But notice not the log in your own. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log that is in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul was, was, was confronting Peter because hypocrisy is dangerous. Hypocrisy is dangerous. What does the outside world say about us? We're nothing but hypocrites. We think we're better than everybody else and we're hypocrites. We're not better than everybody else. I'm not better than anybody. Praise God, I'm better off because I know who my Heavenly Father is. I know I've been saved and I didn't deserve to be saved. I'm better off, but I'm not better than anyone else. Can I act hypocritically? Yes. I can get in the flesh just as fast as anybody else. Maybe even faster. And I know that I need the grace and the mercy of God just as much today, more so today, than I did in April of uh, 2010 when I cried out to Him to save me. I need Him more so now than I did then. I see that and I'll need Him more 10 years from now if He allows me to live than I do right now. I will never outgrow needing my Lord. And that's what Paul was conveying to Peter. Don't do this. Man, don't worry about what they think. We need to be teaching them that they need to be over here eating with the Gentiles. We need to be teaching them, hey, it's okay to have a pork chop. Hey, it's okay to have bacon. It's good. Hey, it's okay to, to have pickled pig's feet if you want them. But he said, don't do this. There is no separation. Now there is one 
people of God and it's all those who see their sin and cry out to Jesus for the salvation of their soul. We must confront hypocrisy, especially the hypocrisy in our own lives. We need to deal with it and we need to deal with it severely. If you have any sin, I've said this many times, any secret sin that you covet and you don't want to part with it, because you won't part with it, you are a hypocrite. And you need to get that Jonah out of the boat. If it's lying, if it's gossip, if it's pride, you need to get that Jonah out of the boat. It is a sin that sent Jesus to the cross and it needs not to have residence in our lives. Put it to death. Kill it. Confront it. Repent of it. And forsake it. We must confront of it. We must confront it because it is contrary to the gospel. And we must confront it. And even like Paul, even if it means we need to have a difficult conversation with somebody else. But if we have to have that difficult conversation, we need to do it with humility. Why? Because yet for the grace of God, go I. Very, very, very easily, you can get in the flesh. And like Peter, you can, you can get all up in your emotions and you and it causes you to take your eye off the Lord. And when you make a split second decision, it's not a Christ honoring one. So you've got to learn. You've got to train to, and ask the Lord, Lord, help me. I mean, front load the prayers. We need to be front loading prayers now because you know the enemy is planning an attack. You know that it's coming. And it's not going to come with people pointing guns in our faces at first. It's going to come with people attacking our pocketbooks. It's going to come with on your job. It's going to come to where you're going to be tempted, commanded to conform, to conform, to put your faith to the test, to either you, and, and then I'll give you an example. It'll be the pronoun thing. To you will either submit to this for somebody else's comfort or you're going to stand for Christ and risk losing your job. And you need to be front-loading prayers right now. I need to be front-loading the prayer wagon right now. Lord, help me to not be hypocrite. Lord, help me to make decisions that honor you. To not be sucked in by the circumstances. To not be enticed and drawn in by other people. To not get in the flesh and worry about, well, what are they going to think about me? You know, I'll be the, the water cooler talk that they roast. I'll be the people that they get roasted and I won't be the ones that get thought well of. We shouldn't worry about that and only worry what the Master thinks of us. And so therefore, we need to front load the prayer wagon now about that. Not be afraid of the conflict because hypocrisy needs to be dealt with, but to do so with humility and grace. Because any of us can be like Peter. Any of us. All of us want to be super Christian. But you know what? All of us are probably a lot like Peter. And the circumstances and the things, they hem us in and we get... Fear takes a hold of us in a split second. But we need to overcome it. Secondly, 
before we criticize Peter again, let us examine our own lives. Where is it that we're being hypocrites at? And then finally, the final takeaway that we can take from this passage. As followers of Jesus, we should let our actions and our words be motivated by the Holy Spirit. Let our actions and our words be motivated by the Holy Spirit and by the gospel and not by fear. If we're going to fear anything, fear God. Fear God. And to be the reverential fear of my heavenly Father, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to not act in a way that would bring you, I don't want to act in a way that would not bring you glory and honor. So we're to be motivated by the Holy Spirit, motivated by the gospel, and not by the fear of men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for what it reveals to us about ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that we can read about the Apostle Peter and Paul. We, we look at Peter and he walked with the Lord. He was part of the inner circle, the inner trust of the Lord Jesus. But Lord, he still messed up. So what does that show us? We mess up too. And so God, help us when we do. Help us when we stumble. Help us when we stumble and fall into sin. God, help it to not be the, the routine practice of our daily life. And Lord, when we do stumble, when we do fall, help us to confront it. Help us to deal with it. Help us to move on from it and learn from it and serve you all the more better. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.